Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Sentner Geology Podcast, Episode 57, The Crystalline Core. Thank you for listening. Now there's the title, The Crystalline Core. Damn, where's that? It's in the North Cascades of Northern Washington. And there are three bedrock units that we're going to discuss today. Yes, this is still, we're still talking exotic terrains here. And these are three rock units that are three terrains that are uh, particularly fascinating and mysterious to me and the centerpiece of ongoing research. So in the crystalline core, we will be discussing today the Skagit Nice, the Nepequa Schist, and the Cascade River Schist. And you're like, hey man, I'm in Argentina. I have no idea where you're talking. I don't have those names sound weird to me, like Nepequa. Well, these are all Native American names, and that's a whole other topic. About um, it's on my list, man. Dealing with Native American uh, history, something I know very little about as an older white gentleman. Uh, but as I've discussed in past podcasts. Uh, I have a couple of associates who are becoming pretty close friends, I must say, and uh, they're Native American, and uh, uh, I'm getting deep, more and more interested in that topic, but that's, that's for another day. Um, so we will be discussing those three exotic terrains momentarily, but let me say a couple things before we do that. Yes, it's been a while since the last episode. You've heard this before. You know, I, I, um, when things are a little bit busy at school, uh, I'm less uh, frequent with the podcast. You know, I do these in my basement here in my home, and there is no schedule. So in the case of, um, it's, it's January 22nd. In the case of uh, January, you'd think not, 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 not a whole lot's going on here, especially with the pandemic and everything. Well... Um, for those of us who like to teach in person, my university, Central Washington University, uh, continues to give us the option. And only a couple of us are, are taking the option of face-to-face. Most everybody else is teaching online here in January of 2021. And this, this pandemic thing continues. Just, Wow. Uh, but we don't need to focus on that. I just mention it because... Um, we were required to be even the face-to-face instructors. Again, just a handful of us on campus. It's still a, a spooky scene where you're walking around in empty buildings and through an empty campus, etc. But um, even us face-to-face folks uh, were required to be online uh, the first two weeks and get all the students tested and make sure we don't have some kind of um, spike or whatever the right phrase is for uh, for the virus numbers here locally. So that appeared to work. The students got tested, uh, and uh, earlier this week, it's a Friday here today. Uh, earlier this week was our first uh, in-person day, and it was just a thrill to to be back with students. Uh, there's only 25 students, 25 bodies uh, in a in a room full of. Uh, uh, empty chairs. There's 120 seats in the auditorium, and they're all 20, 25 of them, I guess. Did I say 20? 25 of them 
in the back few rows of the auditorium. Uh, but I mention all this because I continue to learn uh, new ways to teach. And I don't mean the geology. You know, I'm teaching geology 101 again. It's the same old stuff I've done forever, and uh, it's that's the wrong way to say it. I continue to you know, put a lot of energy into teaching 101 effectively, even though I've been doing it since I was born, essentially. But the, the, the new thing is, I thought, well, wait a minute. I, I got all this momentum on my YouTube channel. I'm saying this in hushed tones like it's naughty. It kind of is, actually. I mean, the number of people watching online live with these live streams you know back in march from my backyard and then this summer and then the exotic terrain thing and again i promise i'll get there in a second uh today's episode is you know a live stream that i did in november and i had to watch part of it <laughs> this morning to remind myself what i was doing with the with this crystalline core again i'm getting there i promise but I want to say to you that uh, I continue to find new challenges is the wrong word. I just, just find new things that are just kind of a kick in the pants, and I continue to learn technology and other things like that. I'm live stream. The naughty part is I'm live streaming my Geology 101 lectures. Are you aware of this? I started right after uh, the first of the year. Uh, we're doing our 10th, I guess. I think we're doing our 10th class this morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. I'm recording this before 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, January 22nd. And uh, it's proven to be incredibly popular. So, of course, I was live streaming the 101 lectures to communicate with these 20 kids who are sitting in their dorm rooms quarantining, you know, uh, following the rules and making sure that they're not spreading the virus. But it's on my YouTube channel, and I purposely did not advertise it. I, you know, I, because uh, you know, three years ago I I tried to do this on Facebook Live without asking anybody, and I got in all sorts of trouble. I had the back of a student's head on camera, and that's violating. I don't even forget what the rules even called. I'm sure you know what it is, FERPA or something. So anyway, I know about that rule now. I can't keep. I can't have any students' faces uh, on camera. And of course, I'm quote unquote giving away state resources, whatever the hell that means. So this is not going to be a rant against uh, the powers that be. I promise. But it's been thrilling uh, to open up my classroom. Uh, to outsiders who, and I was very clear from the beginning, this is Geology 101, I'm giving you this opportunity to sit in on my class live, or you can watch it in replay form on my YouTube channel. And I, you know, I thought a few people would, you know, you know, they're locked down in the UK or whatever, they, they're looking for something to do, they'll, they'll watch. Well, there's a thousand people every morning watching live. From around the world, I had people from Russia and uh, Namibia, and uh, <laughs> it's like what? So, it, so the the ironic part is, I don't know what the right word is. I'm lecturing to twenty students in a room, and a thousand plus are watching live, and another 
I think it's like uh, 10,000 watch it uh, in replay in the next couple of days. They're all, you know, and it's for free. That's part where, you know, I'm giving away state resources or whatever. But uh, at this point, what are universities for? Okay, Daddy's on a tangent now. Um, yeah, let's not go there. Anyway, it, there's there's new ways to communicate. There's new ways to connect. There's new ways to build communities. There's new ways to do this. And uh, you can do it without uh, putting your hand out and asking for uh, thousands of dollars. So, enough of that. Uh, I've been busy with that. I'm kind of we're finally up and running. Here we are talking about the crystalline core. Thank you for your patience. Eight minutes in, the guy starts talking about crystalline core. Okay, here we go. There are these rocks in the crystalline core. Now, the crystalline core is a beautiful phrase. I don't know who came up with it. But the, the North Cascades are a series of rugged mountains that have high elevations. You heard it here first, folks. Mountains have high elevations. But in the high country, in the back country of North Cascades National Park, of the Pesaten Wilderness, of the bunch of other wildernesses that don't come to mind, up above Lake Chelan, north of Mount Stewart, we talked about last time. That's all the crystalline core... And ironically, that high country exposes bedrock that was clearly deeper than 40 miles into the earth for a time. So slow down there because that's the first major message of today. And I got to be honest, there's going to be some major questions today. Out of all the live streams I did last fall... This is this this is the show where I was like I confessed to the viewers and I said I don't I don't totally get what I'm talking about and we'll get to that I promise in just a second. So first message is we have metamorphic rocks. Did you catch the names of the rocks? Skagit nice, that's metamorphic. Nepequa schist, that's metamorphic. Cascade River schist, that's metamorphic. Okay, well, if they're metamorphic, that means they had a protolith. They had the rock that they used to be. And let's get right to it. He goes to Instagram. <laughs> so I can't find my papers where I had it all written out. But I took photos of my little um, hand-drawn strat columns. and other, I had this boxy McBox I was talking about. Whatever, long story. Anyway, you can you can find this this uh, I think the live stream if you want to watch the live stream in in full. Uh, I think I called it Skagit Nice and Napequishist, but today I'm calling it the Crystalline Core for our podcast. Okay, so I'm going to this thing and uh, on this photo, and all three of these units in the Crystalline Core, the Napequishist, the Cascade River Schist, and the Skagit Nice. It's tough to know for sure as you fight through the literature, but the best I could do was to come up with a Triassic protolith, meaning the original rocks that are now the metamorphic rocks of the crystalline core were, were deposited, sedimentary, were deposited in the Triassic period, back when the dinosaurs were around, roughly between 250 and 200 million years ago. 
Uh, and you're like, well, wait a minute. I didn't think Washington, didn't you say Washington wasn't even built until, you know, younger than 200 million years ago? That is correct. But didn't you just say right now that the protolith of those three units in the cascade, in the uh, crystalline core are older than 200 million years ago? That is correct. How's that possible? Well, they weren't created in Washington. They were created on the ocean floor. Let's be specific. The Nipiqua schist originally was mostly chert, ribbon chert, siliceous ribbon chert in the deep ocean. Now, where in the Pacific? Clearly, it was the Pacific Ocean, offshore of North America. I'm talking about older than 200 million years ago now. Where in the Pacific? Can't say. But were we on the Pacific Ocean floor? Hell yes. Sorry, Patrick. The chert tells us that. And there's also an ophiolite complex down there that is still preserved in pieces in the Nipiqua schist today. Ophiolite, you recall, is deep ocean, suite of rocks that indicate some sort of extensional environment where you're pulling the crust apart and you have... Um, I've already talked about it, okay? Deep ocean, great. Now, let's just continue, I guess. It's kind of a similar story for the Cascade River schist protolith and even the Skagit Nice protolith. This was news to me, and again, it was not easy going. It's emailing a bunch of researchers back in November. It's it's kind of going through their papers. It's, it's asking some pointed uh, questions from some of these folks. It's like, what was this stuff originally? I get what it is now. I get, you've got all these beautiful photos and, and uh, the maps of, of, of this nice and this schist that's up there in the crystalline core, but what's the story originally? Well, it's very, as you can imagine, it's very difficult to unravel that. Okay, well, that said, it was a major surprise to me and possibly to you that these metamorphic rocks that are exposed high in the North Cascades have a true deep ocean origin. Now, that's obvious to me when I go to a place like, uh, where, where were we before? San Juan Islands, and you go to Rosa Rosario Head, and you see Ribbon Church, and you're like, okay, Ribbon Church, Church's a deep ocean water. Okay, fine, yeah, this stuff used to be in the ocean. But when you're looking at this this banded gneiss and this ortho gneiss, in other words, these different kinds of zebra stripey-like looking beautiful metamorphic rocks, or you look at a little bit less attractive visually uh, schists of the Nipiqua or the Cascade River, in, in some places those rocks also have beautiful foliations. I don't think deep ocean when I look at those rocks, man. I just look at, you know, high temperature, pressure conditions. What do I know? I don't know anything about metamorphism. I, I hardly know anything about metamorphic rocks. I barely remember anything from the University of Wisconsin classes 35 years ago. But that appears to be the story for the origin of this material. And that is important, and that's why I'm kind of pausing here. Oh, how can I say it quickly? 
so much of these exotic terrains in Washington and British Columbia have a deep ocean origin. Big deal. Well, it is kind of a big deal when you realize, wait a minute, am I looking at all the same stuff that originally all looked very similar to each other on the Pacific Ocean floor, and now it looks so different and has been mapped as a bunch of different exotic terrains because it's been battered and traumatized uh, varying amounts over time? Well, yeah, it, it has had different levels of trauma to create these different looks and therefore these different mappable units that are bounded by faults. But I think one of the main stories of the whole Exotic Terrain series with the live streams and, and now many of these audio podcast episodes, I think one of the main themes is there's just different levels of damage to the stuff after it got added. But if you go back far enough, it's it's a, kind of a quote-unquote simple picture. I don't know if I'm making sense right there, but I'm continuing to work on that idea. Okay, so why all the trauma with this crystalline core? Okay, here's where it gets messy for me because I don't have enough detailed metamorphic background. Maybe you do, but I don't. There are certain, so I'm going to be vague on purpose because I don't really know what I'm talking about. And again, this is the part of the live stream where I was just like, I don't get it. I emailed Stacia Gordon like three different times and she, she gave me beautiful answers, but I, I still don't totally get it. So here we go, vague. Well, this is not vague. We, the researchers know that these rocks in today's episode, and if you just Google Skagit Nice, you'll see the most beautiful outcrops. Same for the other two, Nupiqua and Cascade River. Okay. But there's all sorts of indicators, let's just put it that way, that tell us that that bedrock was clearly deeper than 40 kilometers into the earth. So I, I don't think I, for, please forgive me if I've already used this analogy, but I think this might be the first for the audio podcast. I came up with this concept of a geologic elevator and people seem to like it. And of course, with analogies, you're probably, you know, bastardizing things and making it too simple, well, whatever. I've already commented on that. So we originally have this deep ocean sediment, and then we get the deep ocean sediment to North America. Okay, fine, that's one story. That's involving tectonics, that's, that's, that's abducting this material, that's a whole other situation of how we're getting stuff from the deep ocean and getting it onto a continent. I've already said what I can say about that, which is also kind of a mystery, but whatever. But here's the main point today uh, involving... Uh, metamorphism. Apparently, about a hundred million years ago, or maybe a little bit younger than that, this newly accreted material goes down the geologic elevator. And you're like, tell me more about that. I don't even think I understand what you're saying. Well, I don't think I understand what I'm saying. And I'm not sure anybody understands what I'm saying. But these rocks, 
that today are the Skagit Nice, the Napequishist, etc., got buried or lowered in the geologic elevator, presumably, no, more than presumably, they're here. They're here. They're in Washington. But they're not Nices and Schists yet. I think that's what, I may change my tune on this, but I think that's the story. that we don't really do the full-scale metamorphism of these originally deep ocean sediments until after the main event. Now, I know we've talked about the main event before, but one of the, the developing themes in the whole fall series with the exotic terrains is this massive plate tectonic event roughly 100 million years ago. And... Um, it involves accreting the insular superterrain, but let's not go back and revisit all that. The point is, this 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 uh, this this main event a hundred million years ago is creating all sorts of havoc, including shortly after the main event. Here is this incredible downward plunge within Washington of this deep ocean sediment that's going to continue to go to these depths greater than 40 miles into the earth. Now, what's, why is it going down? Don't know. What's sitting on top of it when it's down there? Don't know. I honestly don't know. And again, I'm not sure anybody does. But we do know that when those rocks were down deeper than 40 kilometers, they went down the geologic elevator. And so we're now in the Cretaceous. We're now, we're now younger than 100 million years ago. And when we're down there, deeper than 40 kilometers in the crust, the Napiqua chert and the Ophiolites become amphibolites. So that's basically taking a basalt and metamorphic metamorphosing it into an amphibolite and uh, the, the, the deep ocean mud becomes schist. Same with the Cascade River. The deep ocean sediments become schists. Now with the Cascade River schists, there's a little bit of volcanic activity in there as well, a little bit of volcanic material. And so that shows up in some of the Cascade River as metamorphosed uh, volcanic material, becoming some of the gneisses. And then the Skagit, again, I'm looking at my little Instagram photo here. The Skagit originally, the Skagit gneiss was originally deep ocean chert. Sound familiar? Ophiolite, sound familiar? Some andesite and diorite. So there was a volcanic arc. There was a line of ocean island... uh, uh, volcanoes, uh, kind of in addition to that deep ocean scene. So you can kind of think of a, a Marianas Islands, a Marianas Trench kind of a scene, perhaps. And then you you accrete that stuff onto into Washington, and then you you, you dunk that whole thing down deeper than forty kilometers, and that gets us to orthonices and banded nices. So nices that have an uh, kind of a a granitic or diuritic uh, protolith, and then some of these deep ocean sediments that are also beautifully foliated now. Talking about the Skagit gneiss. Now that's that's troublesome enough, vague enough. Okay, fine. 
But let me add a couple more points, one that I'm confident on and one that I'm even less confident than before. Are you kidding me? Why am I doing a podcast episode if I keep saying I don't get it? Well, that's kind of that's kind of what um, I think keeps people interested. Or I think that's part of the attraction to uh, these programs. Just a quick aside here. We all know there's different ways to teach science. And I'm old enough to remember when science was taught in a very static way. You know, these old, these old documentaries from 1963 in black and white or whatever, they got the super white guy narration voice and it's kind of like this old radio kind of voice. And, and uh, it's... There's no stories. It's it's just uh, it's just kind of a like reading a dictionary almost. You know, this is what this is, and 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 then we call this this, and that's what we call this. This is what we call this. <laughs> Why the hell would I go into a topic or a field that's just a you know that? Oh God, where was I going with this? I don't even remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So my point is, if you present science as everything's been figured out, here are the definitions, here are the dates, that's the wrong way to teach science. Come on now. Now, you can do too much uncertainty and too much wishy-washy, kind of like this episode. And you're like, okay, well, well, that was a waste of my time. Why did I even listen? The guy doesn't know anything. So that, like most things in life, there's a balance. But I think many who communicate science and at least geology undervalue a willingness to admit or even lean into uncertainties. You can do it and people become closer to the topic. They become more invested in the topic. And yes, many who don't have a whole lot of uh, background and uh, maybe social awareness, you know, immediately type in the live comments exactly what the answer is. They've been thinking about it for three seconds, you know. Uh, meanwhile, somebody's been uh, mapping uh, the the range for 35 years and uh, doesn't have an answer. But this guy, after three seconds, has cracked the code. I mean, give me a break. But uh, you know, I don't call people up because they're 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 feeling invested. That's the point. They're feeling connected. They're they're interested, and they 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 know that there are things to work on. Okay. So the final part of this episode is the biggest mystery of the whole exotic terrain series. And this one is a mystery to me, not so much to the researchers. Forgive me if I've told you already. I probably have in every episode, and I just can't recall. I keep, can't keep track of what, I, what I'm saying and which venue. I've been doing so many different things. And that's a good thing. It's been fun to do all this stuff. So I'm part of this group virus willing, uh, will be out in the field as soon as this summer in the North Cascades. 
Michael Eddy leads the team from Purdue University. Stacia Gordon from University of Nevada, Reno, and um, Bob Miller from San Jose State. And they're grad students. And it's a multi-year National Science Foundation grant, and they invited me to be part of the grant as the you know public person. And they thought, well, you could just do a bunch of podcast episodes. That would be perfect. And I said, yeah, okay, sounds good. That was like two years ago, you know. Sure, yeah, podcast. Yeah, I got that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that. Well, then this whole live stream thing showed up, and uh, I was experimenting with all sorts of ways to interview people on video and, and go out in the field with a, a stabilizer and a whatever. So I'm, I'm you know, we're going to do stuff. We're going to do video, man. Probably audio too, but we're going to definitely do video. So the point is, Stacia Gordon has been studying the Skagit Nice in particular for many years, and she has cutting-edge techniques involving zircons and many other... <laughs> It's embarrassing. I still don't even totally understand what she's been doing. But I know it's exciting. I know that it's highly respected. And the major mystery is this. Thank you for your patience. From her geochemical work in the Skagit Nice and teasing out zircons and getting all sorts of detailed um I can't be more specific than that. By working with the details in the lab of the Skagit Nice, let's put it that way. Skagit, uh, <laughs> Skagit Stacy, Stacia Gordon has built a case that while the Skagit Nice was down in the deep geologic elevator, a bunch of sediment was added to the metamorphic rock-making process. Just saying that, I'm still confused. Kind of ticks me off. I haven't been able to figure it out. And, and she was very clear by email. Let me, let me, she was very supportive. And I haven't met her yet. But I'm going to keep coming back to her and trying to figure this out. She says, we need to add a bunch of sediment to the deep ocean material to create what we see today as the Skagit Nice. And yes, the Nipiqua Schist and the Cascade River Schist as well, but there's a massive amount of, of like sand, essentially, that gets added, sand and mud, that gets added at deep levels. And so much of her work was trying to come up with tectonic modeling to explain why all this sediment was being added. And I kept coming back and saying, why do we need all this sediment? What, what, what is the... I don't understand your isotopic data to understand why sediment is needed to begin with. But everybody agrees that's the case, so I'm, I'm just the one out to lunch there. And then it comes into this thing where, okay, yeah, well, if you look at modern subduction zones, there's this sediment that's coming down with the oceanic slab, and the sediment is, is getting into mid-levels in the crust. I'm like, I, how? Why? Why doesn't it just go down? So um, I'm just going to give you more and more questions as I go, and so I'm going to stop. You don't need more questions. What have you learned today? 
Well, first of all, this is a major area that continues to need work, and so that's it's not an accident that this new NSF grant is going directly into the crystalline core to work on these problems. So that's exciting and fun, and I, you know, I'll continue to report in with this series, and uh, I have no doubt that I will have many new things to report that's already been figured out, but are just, uh, you know, mysterious to me at the moment. But for this episode, what have you learned? Well, if you go across Washington State Route 20, the North, the North Cascades Highway, you're driving right through this gadget nice. In much of the case, if you're east of this Straight Creek Fault, as we've discussed before, you're, you're, you're in the walls of Skagit Nice, but the Skagit Nice is a major uh, unit. A lot of the North Cascades are simply the Skagit Nice. So it's, it's not just a little sliver of rock here and there. It's, 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 I, I uh, should have looked this up, but I, out of all the exotic terrains exposed in the North Cascades of Washington, the Skagit Nice is the king as far as acreage is concerned, and probably as far as unlocked secrets are concerned. And the Skagit Nice and others are part of this crystalline core. Final comment. If you drive Washington 20 and you leave Burlington, Washington, which is on the western side of Washington, and you, so you're, you're driving east from Burlington, Washington. And you're like, okay, here's the foothills. I guess we're starting to climb. And you're going through the eastern metamorphic suite we talked about a couple episodes ago. And then you cross the Straight Creek Fault, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Everything changes as soon as you cross that Straight Creek Fault. I've probably said this in the last episode, forgive me if I have, or two episodes ago, but I'm going to hit it again. That crystalline core that you are in immediately, as soon as you cross that Straight Creek Fault, that north-south Straight Creek Fault, as soon as you cross the Straight Creek Fault heading east and you're finally in the Skagit Nice, the topography changes. It's high, rugged country. Those metamorphic rocks, including the rocks we're talking about today, are hard. They're physically difficult to erode. They look different in erosional profile than some of these other metamorphic rocks. And yet, they were down the geologic elevator, deeper than 40 kilometers, shortly after the main event 100 million years ago. And then another huge mystery. I'm finishing with another one. Wasn't planning on it. Here we go. Another huge mystery is about 50. That's like this stuff's been down there for tens of millions of years, acquiring this mysterious... I promise I'm not going to say the word mysterious anymore. Acquiring all this sediment that I don't get. We make the Skagit Nice, the Nipequa Schist, the Cascade River Schist, and then about 50 million years ago, we... The stuff comes up. The stuff comes up the geologic elevator like it's not still down there because we can see it. We wouldn't know about it if it's down deeper than 50 kilometers. I'm getting excited now. So what happened in the Eocene, which is almost certainly the next series of live streams that I'll do at some point, maybe this spring, what happened in the Eocene to cause the geologic elevator to come back up? This stuff all pops up, like rapidly comes back up. 
like between 50, uh, off memory now, between 50 and 45 million years ago, the elevator comes up 40 miles in five million years. That's pretty damn fast. Sorry, Patrick. And the stuff's at the surface for sure. And there's a bunch of evidence for that, which we'll get into <clears throat> once we get to that Eocene set of topics. So that crystalline core is beautiful, challenging, complicated for sure, but chock full of rather significant major question marks. And this Michael Eddy research team is hoping to make a couple more steps towards the light. And it's a thrill to be part of that group. Look very much looking forward to being part of that and reporting back to you. Dear listener, we talked about the crystalline core today. A few things that we know, many things that we don't know, and by we I mean me, but truly I think we means we <laughs> in a few of these cases. Even Stacia Gordon and students still working on some of these questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nick Sentner Geology Podcast. I can't promise when I'll check in next, but I'll try to make it sooner than later. Thank you for listening. I love you, and goodbye.